in a big way come Tuesday morning as you start teaching or as you go as a student again. But it also signals a change of season here at church, right? The, the new church season is about to begin. So, so next Sunday, we're back to two morning services, 8, 30, and 11. Make sure you mark that on your calendar and are aware of that. Right? Next Sunday begins iKids for the preschoolers and iClub for the, for the elementary age students. I study for middle school, for high school, and a separate I study for adults. Be ready for that between the services next Sunday. Right? Next week begins the weekly Bible studies, chances to grow and learn for men and women, couples. In just a couple weeks, Alpha begins. Be praying for for who God might be asking you to invite to bring to Alpha. There's a lot of opportunities you don't want to miss, but, but before all that begins, before it gets a little bit more busy again, right? Enjoy Labor Day. Enjoy the last long weekend of the summer. I, I looked it up. Labor Day has been a national holiday now for 121 years, since 1894. And I looked up the official purpose. And what's the reason for Labor Day? Here's what it says on on the website of the U.S. Department of Labor. It says, Labor Day is to be a day dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. It's dedicated to labor. Now, I guess most of us are going to dedicate tomorrow to the beach or to family gathering, or a picnic, or some fun thing, and that's great. But hopefully we'll take at least a moment and give thanks for the work that has been done, the work that we do do, wherever God has placed us, in a factory, office, school, home, neighborhood, church, wherever God's asked us to serve. And when I thought about that, and I thought about All of us sitting here this morning, I reflected this past weekend, what a huge diversity of jobs and tasks God has given to us as a community, right here in this church family. Right, sitting here this morning, we have home builders and homemakers. We have doctors and nurses. We have teachers and administrators. We have people who are in sales and people who are in purchasing. We have engineers and and mechanics. We have accountants and bankers. You name it, we pretty much have it. When I was in college, I I, I think I've told you this before, but I took the opportunity to try and experience as many different jobs as I possibly could for one day. I I didn't get myself fired on purpose. They had one-day jobs on the job board that that you could go try. And So I thought, I want to get a taste of, of what people do. So for one day, I was a meat packer in the back of a grocery store on their grand opening when they needed more help. I learned I don't really want to do that for the rest of my life. That was hard work, so credit to you who who worked back there. For one day, I got to help pull off somebody's uh, awesome wedding at the Anway Grand Plaza Hotel, set it up and help do all the work behind the scenes. For my favorite was for one day, I got to be a garbage man downtown Chicago. I hung off the back of the truck riding past the Sears Tower. That was pretty cool. Again, I learned credit to all of you who do work like that because I don't think I could pull it off. There's so much diversity, right? And there's so much diversity here, all the different tasks that God calls us to do. And yet, and yet, there is one title and there is one task 
that unifies us in the middle of all of our diversity. One task that we all share. Right? For most of us here, the title we share is the title Christian. Right? Follower of Jesus. And I recognize that that might not be true of everybody here. Some of you here may not have claimed that title yet. We certainly invite you and hope that you will uh, let the Holy Spirit move in your heart and, and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ yourself. But for most of us here, that's a title that we, that we have allowed God to give us. We are Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a job description that comes with that title. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, many of us don't quite know what that job description is. What is written on that job description when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ? What are we supposed to be accomplishing? What is the expectation upon which we will be evaluated? It's pretty important that we know that, isn't it? It's pretty important that we know what God puts on our life job description. If we're going to take on the title of Christian, follower of Jesus, then what are the expectations that we need to follow? What are the tasks that God gives us? What is the labor that we are called to do? Well, take out your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, page 1034 in the Bibles you have in front of you. John chapter 6, starting at verse 25, Jesus gives us our job description. Let me just give you a little bit of background while you're looking up the passage to, to put this encounter with Jesus in its context. If you look the paragraphs before, you see that, that this chapter begins with Jesus having taken a boat across the Sea of Galilee, spending the day talking with a great crowd of people out there. And when evening came, they're all hungry. He doesn't send them away to go find dinner for themselves. Instead, he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. And he feeds them all with 12 baskets full of food left over. Pretty amazing. Okay, and then, and then that evening, the disciples hop in a boat and they're gonna go back across to, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and a huge storm comes up. They're in the middle of this storm. They think they're gonna sink and they see Jesus walking in the water, coming out to greet them. And Jesus gets in the boat, and it says that immediately they find themselves across the way. He rescues them miraculously from the storm. Okay, and, and, then, and then the next morning comes, and, and the people realize that Jesus and his disciples are gone. And they, they realize that they have gone back to the other side of the lake. And, and so they rush to find Jesus again. They rush to, to be reunited with him on the other side of the lake. And here's their encounter with him when they find him again. Start at verse 25 with me. Because when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give 
that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Now pause there for just a moment with me. We'll keep reading in a moment, so keep your Bibles open. But, but think about this. Think about the setting. Okay, the Sea of Galilee is a pretty decent-sized lake, and, and getting across the Sea of Galilee is not an easy task. It took a lot of work for these people when they woke up in the morning to find the boat that they're going to take a boat across. Remember, there's, there's 5,000 men plus women and children. My guess is many of them on foot probably jogged around the lake to go find Jesus again. And if I were Jesus, and people made all that kind of effort to find me again, I'd be pretty honored. I'd be pretty impressed if people came all that way to hear me. Jesus isn't that impressed. He makes it clear in verse 26, right? He knows that it was their stomachs that brought them there, not their hearts. They came for the miracle of bread, not to hear the Savior. And so he says to them in verse 27, he says, do not work for food that spoils. In other words, don't go through all this effort. Don't go through all this work simply to get some more bread for your stomach. You know, I multiply, just to have it me multiply bread again. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And he says, work for the good stuff. Come and see me for what's really important and for the things that really matter. If you're going to work this hard to come find me, then take home with you a heart full of salvation, a heart full of forgiveness, a heart full of grace from God, not just a stomach full of bread. And, and the people that Jesus is talking to here miss it, as most people usually do when Jesus talks. And I can kind of see how they did. Okay, Jesus told them not to work for bread, but to work for eternal life. And their next question comes in verse 28. They say, okay, you told us to work for eternal life. They ask the question, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What is it that we're supposed to be doing here then? And the response they were expecting from Jesus is a long list of do's and don'ts because that's what they're used to from their religious leaders. What does God want me to do? Well, the Pharisees were great at making lists of things that they were supposed to do and not do, and their lists were long, right? Lists of, of things that they could eat and they couldn't eat, things that they could say and they couldn't say, things that they could do on the Sabbath and things that they couldn't do on the Sabbath. The list of things they couldn't do was a lot longer than the things they could, right? Things, rituals that they needed to repeat day after day after day, and the list goes on and on of the things they need to do to earn eternal life. So they're still looking for the magic formula of works and deeds and actions that then qualify them to be good enough in God's sight. 
Well, Jesus gives them a very different response than what they're expecting. Jesus recognizes this fact, the fact that they're stuck on trying to earn their way to salvation, to qualify for eternal life. And and so he decides to put his answer to their question. Remember, what, what do we need to do? He puts it in terms that they can understand. He decides to give them the job description that they're looking for. Only his job description is very different from the long list that they're expecting from him. Instead, he says to them in verse 28, and just notice the difference. They say, what what are the works, plural, we must do? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent, period. There's the list, done. There's their job description. There is our job description given to us by Jesus himself. If you carry the title Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is the job description by which you will be evaluated. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe? Not, not do you do good works, not are you a good father and mother, not do you go to church, do you give lots of money, not anything else. All those things we do out of gratitude to God, right? Out of a transformed life to live the way that God designed us to live. But your job, your number one task is to believe. To believe all that we sang about earlier To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully human and fully divine. To believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, that he died, was buried in the ground for three days, and then he walked out of that tomb alive again. To believe that he ascended into heaven and that he is now king of heaven and earth, and someday he's going to come again and finish off this recreation. To believe that Jesus did all of this because he loves you that much. Because he wants to be in a relationship with you that much. Because he wants to give you his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and wants you to have life. To believe that God made a way for you to come back into his family through the ransom paid by his son, Jesus Christ. The work of God for you and for me is to believe. That's what this whole gospel of John, that's what the whole gospel of John is about from beginning to end. It's about believing. Right In this book, in the gospel of John, 21 chapters, 98 times he uses the word believe. That's almost five times per chapter. That's how much of a priority this is for John. Believing is our task. From from virtually the beginning of the book, right? Chapter one, verse seven. John is just introducing us to John the Baptist. And what does he say about John the Baptist? He says, he, John the Baptist, came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He then proceeds to tell story after story of people who encountered Jesus and believed from religious leaders like Nicodemus to social outcasts like the Samaritan woman at the well to his own disciples. Remember Jesus offering his nail-scarred hands for Thomas? Why? So that Thomas would believe. 
And then right towards the end of the book, John himself reminds us of his purpose again. Chapter 20, verse 31, he says, these sto- but these, these stories of Jesus contained in the book of John are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. John writes this whole book so that we might be able to fulfill our job description, so that we might believe. That's our task. That's our number one priority. The work of God is this, one thing. Believe in the one he has sent. It seems pretty clear, but the people gathered around Jesus still don't get it. He just told them that their number one job is to believe, and they immediately throw the conversational ball back into his court. Right, they ask him in verses 30 and 31, they, they say, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate man in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now step back for a moment and think about this. When you think about it, it's amazing what response they give here. Think about what they just experienced in the last 12 to, to 24 hours. 12 hours ago, they ate their fill on a hillside, five loaves and two fish, feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, 12 baskets full left over. 12 hours ago, they were seeing one of the greatest miracles you've ever experienced. The disciples were still buzzing about seeing Jesus walk on water that night and, and bring their boat safely across the lake. Jesus tells them, just believe in me that I'm the one that the Father sent. And what do they say? Well, why don't you do a miracle for us? Why don't you do something amazing? Then we'll believe. I don't know. If I was Jesus, I don't know what I would have done. Probably one of two things. I probably would have, in frustration, turned and walked away. Or maybe I would have just pulled my hair out and shouted, really, you want a miracle? Did you just forget what I just did? Do you have no short-term memory at all? Good thing I'm not Jesus, because he's much better than me. Much more gracious. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't force them into belief. But he understands his job description as well. In fact, he uses their question to lay out what his task is for them. And that's what comes in verse 35. Okay, so, so he's talking about bread. They're asking for a miracle. And this is what he says to them. Pick it up at verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's Jesus' job description. Right? He says, I'm, gonna, I'm here to do two things. 
I'm here to do the will of God, and here's what God tells me to do. First of all, I'm here to gather all those who believe in me. And secondly, when I gather them, I'm going to give them eternal life. Jesus' job description is not, first of all, to walk on water or multiply bread or fish or amaze people with miracles. That's not his job. His job is to gather those who believe and to give them eternal life. And if you read through the book of John, again, you would see Jesus searching for those who believe. He preaches, he teaches, he heals, he does miracles, all for the purpose of gathering people to himself so that they would believe. And some don't respond. He recognizes that with the people he's standing face to face to, right? You don't believe, you don't understand. I read other stories in John, and you see the most unlikely people responding to Jesus' message. He's gathering them in as they believe. You'll see that Samaritan woman, not only her believing, but she goes back, her whole village believes. You'll see the whole household of one one of King Herod's officers believing after his son is healed. You'll see a blind man who's been kicked out of the synagogue praising Jesus in front of his accusers, even though it might cost him his life, because he believes. You'll see Jesus fulfilling this job description, sowing the way to eternal life, gathering those who believe every opportunity he has. That's why he came. He came to do that for you and for me. He came to make a way for you and for me to live eternally and to offer us salvation and to help us believe. That's Jesus' mission while he was here on earth, while he walked in in this universe, right? To make a way to the Father and to gather his chosen people. And it's his mission still today. Praise God that through his death and his resurrection, he had you in mind. He had me in mind. He made a way for us to be gathered in, and he gave us eternal life. He has found you. He has found me. He has changed you. He has changed me for eternity. And as awesome as that is, Jesus' task is not complete yet. It's not done. Yes, the task of opening the door and providing a way to the Father has been completed. Jesus accomplished that when he died and rose again and walked out of that tomb alive. But Jesus' job of gathering believers is still going on. Only only now it's been shifted and added to our expanded job description. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, remember his final words to his disciples? His final words were challenging them to go and and make disciples, gather believers. So, and that's for all of us. We are called now to both believe and to gather those who will believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, Listen, listen to John chapter 17 here a moment. John 17, 15 through 18. Jesus is praying with his disciples. It's before, before he's betrayed, before he dies and rises, and he's praying with his disciples, knowing that his life is about to end. Listen to John 17, 15 through 18. He says to them this. He says, my prayer, is, he's praying to God the Father, my prayer is not that you take them, his disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And listen to this. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As you sent me. For the same purpose you sent me, now I'm sending them to gather those who would believe and to make disciples who receive eternal life. As God sent Jesus, Jesus sends them. Jesus' prayer doesn't stop there, though. He goes on to expand that calling in verse 20. Read on. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Those verses should stun each one of us. Because this is the one place in Scripture where Jesus peers right through time and he looks directly to right now. He looks directly to you and to me. He has your face in mind when he says this. He has my face in mind. He's praying for us. His prayer is for everyone who will believe. That's you and that's me. And what does Jesus pray for as he looks directly at you? As he looks directly at me? He's praying that he will find us faithful to the task that he's left for us to do. He's praying that we will work diligently on the job description given to us. That we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And that we might help others to believe. We might gather them in. He's praying that our commitment to the work that God has given us will be the same as his was. The same commitment. He was willing to give himself over completely to the task which God had given him no matter what the cost, so that the world would believe. It's our spiritual job description. It's not overly complicated, is it? Believe in Jesus, so keep growing in faith and gather others to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep growing his kingdom. That's the work, the labor that Jesus calls us to do. You know, I would guess that many of us here this morning probably would have a hard time checking those two things off the list, off our daily to-do task list. I would guess that for many of us, myself included, those usually aren't the top priorities that we shape our lives by because there's other tasks that we're working for. There's other priorities. Sometimes we're too busy with our other jobs, our other, our other work, our other job description that our boss gives us. Or we're too busy growing our careers or growing our friendships or growing our, our comforts. Maybe we're too busy doing all the, the big long list of good things that we're trying to impress God with. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a higher calling, a greater job description. God is to be the ultimate boss, right? It's his job description that takes priority. Believe in Jesus. Be growing in that relationship. And let that belief translate into action in this world. 
ushering his kingdom, gathering those who would believe. So maybe this Labor Day, tomorrow, is a chance for you to think about and evaluate who truly is boss in your life. Most of us have a boss somewhere. But maybe God should be that boss in every aspect. Who's boss at home, in the office, at school, wherever you are? Is it God? And then recognize God's call in placing you right where he has placed you. Match that up to the job description he's given you. He's called you to be growing. He's going to put you in places to grow, to believe more and more. Are you taking advantage of those opportunities to grow, to learn? Will you, starting next Sunday, the opportunities to grow and learn and believe are going to be, they're going to be multiplied around here? Are you going to take advantage? And he's called you to interact in this world with such a way that you bring others into a relationship with him. And my guess is God is going to place people in your life who need to know him. The only question is, they're there. The question is, are we going to speak to them? Are we going to share life with them? Are we going to take the opportunities God gives to invite them? Are we going to live out the job description that God has given to us? Recognize that God hasn't just given you a job. He's given you the job of a lifetime and beyond. Would you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for the tasks and the opportunities you've given us here in this world. You've kept us busy. You've given us opportunities, and we give you thanks. But Father, we ask this morning that the opportunities of this world would not interfere with the tasks that you called us to do in your name, with the job description that you've given us that should take precedence over everything else. Father, this morning, give us a renewed commitment to believe, to have a desire more and more to know you to love you, to discover your grace, your mercy, the truth of who you are. Set our hearts on fire with a passion to know and love you more. And set our hearts on fire with a passion for this world to know you and love you more. Give us hearts for friends, family members, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, And help us to see the opportunities you give. They're there daily. And give us the courage to step forward and gather together by the power of your spirit all those who would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.